For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Good evening, church. Well, some of you guys know that before I came on staff at Covenant, I spent about two decades, a little over two decades, uh, in the high-tech industry as an electrical engineer. And my first job was out in California uh, with a very large firm, 30,000 people. And although we liked California, we loved the sunshine, we loved the mountains and the ocean, uh, Debbie and I being raised and uh, born in Florida, we really wanted to make our way back to the East Coast. And so when we got the opportunity to move to the Midwest, to the suburbs of Chicago, we thought, well, that's not all the way to the East Coast, but that's some of the way there. And so we took that opportunity. And that job was in Naperville, Illinois, a wonderful, wonderful community. Uh, we had a wonderful church there as well. Uh, we didn't realize that we had a personal connection to that church, but that just made it all the more sweeter. And I had a fantastic job. I loved working in a small company. It was 30 people, so I went from 30,000 people down to 30 people, and I just loved it. I don't like large corporations, bureaucracy, lots of rules. I'm kind of a maverick in that way. And so it was a fantastic opportunity. I loved the people I was working with. I love the project I was working on. And you know what? We would probably still be in the suburbs of Chicago today if it were not for two little factors. And the first, you might have already guessed by something I've said already, and that is those brutal winters. Right? Debbie and I were born and raised in Florida, and being young, we were kind of naive to the fact that winters could be pretty rough. I mean, the winters there, they start like in September or something, right? And they go all the way till June. I remember it snowed like early June once and we we're like, what is this? And winter for us is as simple as putting on a hoodie or something like that and changing out the flip-flops and putting on closed-toed shoes. So we were not prepared for that winter. But the second factor uh, that caused us to leave there was a bounced paycheck. Now after uh, working there for about almost a year, um, I started hearing little rumors about somebody's paycheck, you know, having trouble with the paycheck and whatnot. 
And it didn't really bother me because I was really deep into my project. And I was working on a project where, you know, I had to commit like seven days a week, 80 hours, you know, a week and night and day. Uh, this would be the only job that I've ever had where I pulled an all-nighter, uh, believe it or not. I mean, I worked all night to get this project done. And so I wasn't really paying attention to the, the office chatter until I went to the bank. And I took my paycheck and my deposit stub and I gave it to that lady and I remember just the first sign that there's something wrong, the furling of the eyebrow. And then she went in the back and I saw her talking to a guy who had a nice sharp press suit. That's the second bad sign. And uh, she came back and said, sir, I don't think we can honor this. Uh, there's insufficient funds. And to me, uh, for someone who had poured so much into this job, um, I really felt like I was getting robbed. I felt like I was getting ripped off and that this wasn't something that I deserved. I felt I deserved even better. And you guys might be able to relate to something similar in your life. Maybe at your job you haven't had a bounced paycheck, but you've got a coworker where you're looking at that coworker and they're getting opportunities that you're not getting. And you're thinking to yourself, well, how come they're getting that and I'm not getting this? Or it could be a relationship. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids or extended family where you feel like you should be getting more than you're getting. You deserve more. Or the way you're being treated is not right. Or maybe it's something as simple as a contractor coming to your home and you think you've agreed on what the bathroom remodel would look like and about halfway through the project you've got to fire them and move on because you're not getting what you've agreed to and it's just not right. It's not what you deserve. You know, I love soft serve ice cream. I love soft serve ice cream. I really do. And I've determined that the best soft serve ice cream is right down the street at Moose. It really is. I've tried them all and it's the best. And because I love it so much, I get the large or the extra large. And my kids don't get the large, okay? But sometimes I'm licking my cone and I'm looking over at their size and I'm kind of eyeballing it. And it's like mine's only like that much larger than theirs. And I think to myself, that's not fair. That's not right. That's not what I deserve. Well, here in the parable before us, we have a similar situation going on, right? Those first workers, that's where we see it. They are thinking, this is not what we deserve. This is not right. And although as we unpack this parable, we're going to see that there's differences in the situation, but I can assure you that the emotions that they felt are identical. They felt like they were getting robbed. So when we unpack the sermon, I want you to see three things about God's character. Three things. I want you to see that God is fair and just, that God is supremely sovereign, and that God is abundantly gracious. Fair and just, supremely sovereign, and abundantly gracious. So let's set the stage for this parable. Well, the parable is about the kingdom of God. And you may be saying, well, Brian, how do you know that? It says right there in verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. This is about God's kingdom. And who are the key players? Well, we've got the owner of the vineyard, and that represents God himself. And we also have those first-hour workers who were hired at the crack of dawn, 
And then we've got workers that showed up and were hired at the third hour, and the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, and finally we've got those dreaded 11th hour workers. So God is a fair and just God, and we see that in verse 2. Let me read you verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And then in 13 it says, But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? So the way the master is treating those first workers demonstrates fairness, justice. There was an agreement before the day started that they would have a denarius for the work that they were going to give. And a denarius back then was a typical day's wage. And so it was fair. And at the end of the day, after they had done their work, the master gave them what was promised. So they got exactly what they deserved. It was fair. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18 says, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. The Lord is a God of justice. Our God is a just God. That's who he is. And in Psalm, in Proverbs 16:11, says, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. What's that talking about? These scales. It's talking about in the marketplace, right? Scales that are being used to weigh out measurement and payment for items. And unlike merchants who are deceptive, merchants who want to get a little bit more, maybe they're just rigging their scales a little bit, maybe they're shaving a little bit off their weights just so they can get a little bit more. God is not like that. His scales are just. The weights in his bag are his. Nobody's gone and messed with them. Nobody's fiddled with them. God's weights are perfectly calibrated. His scale is perfectly balanced. And God is a just God. However, when we approach this parable and we see what these first workers are going through, it arouses a sense in us that something is not fair. They showed up early. They worked all day. They're sitting there in the burning sun. And it just doesn't seem right. And why is that? We'll take a look at verse 15. It gives us a clue. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? And that word begrudge, actually in the Greek, there's two words there. There's two words. Ophthalmos, ophthalmos, ponrenos. Ophthalmos meaning I, ponrenos meaning evil, evil I. And in the King James Version, you'll actually see that being translated evil I. Okay? And actually, there's something interesting about that. When we get our eye on someone else's situation, their circumstances, their blessing, we kind of get bent out of shape about it. And in the ESV, it uses the word begrudge. Other versions, you'll see envious or envy. And I think these are all fine ways to look at it because it gets to the underlying issue, which is when we're looking at other people's situation in light of what they have, we can grumble, we can begrudge, we can be envious. But the parable here 
is making the point that God is fair and just. God is also supremely sovereign. We see this in verses 14 and 15. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? God does what he pleases. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed? God does what he wants. God does what he pleases with his creation. And in Psalm 135.6, it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. God created everything. And as creator, he has the right to rule over, to be in control over it, to be sovereign over all of his creation. And you know, when we hear things like this, it makes us uncomfortable. And sometimes we don't like it, and sometimes we grumble. And I'm sure if you're like me, you don't say it out loud, you don't verbalize it, but it shows up in the way we feel. It shows up in those feelings when we're looking at someone else's situation. And it shows up in the way we act. Yet we see that God, who is sovereign over all, who has created everything, he has the right, he has the prerogative to rule over his creation how he pleases. And God would not be a sovereign God if he was not in control over everything. Everything. Every person, every circumstance and issue that's going on, the largest galaxy, the smallest subatomic particle. Nothing is outside of the control of our sovereign God. And that means things like our past president and our current president and the fact that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they're filthy rich and I'm not. God is sovereign over those things, right? And what about that straight-A student who doesn't seem to study and yet they're skating through life getting straight A's and you're the person that has to work overtime. You have to pull all-nighters and you're just struggling to get that B. God is sovereign over that situation as well. And what about that perfect lady or mom that you see in the neighborhood? Right? She's the one that has the perfect husband. She's got the perfect kids. Drives a nice new car. She's got a wonderful house. She's got a wonderful job. Somehow she can bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan, right? And you just can't get your pajamas on before noon. You're still trying to get that done. God is sovereign in control over all those things. But what about something harder? What about the death of my loved one? What about my divorce and that broken relationship that I can't seem to repair? What about that? What about the disease that I'm fighting that threatens to take my life or the life of my loved one? And we know from Scripture that God, 
He's sovereign over those things as well. As confusing and as painful as it is, we know that God is sovereign over our suffering. More than that, we know that God is a good God. He's a loving God. And He has meaning and purpose behind that. So God is fair and just. God is supremely sovereign. And God is abundantly gracious. And we see this exemplified in that 11th hour worker. Look with me at verse 9. And, those, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, these guys had worked only one hour, right? And recall that a denarius is a day's wage. So they got, they got 12 times what they should have gotten, right? That seems pretty unbelievable. 12 times. Imagine the shock and delight that they had that they had gotten that. And yet, that's what they got. They got something that they didn't deserve. Furthermore, let's look at verse 6 and 7. We're going to learn something else about these guys. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. Now it says that they were there all day. I, I kind of doubt that. Um, I don't want to take that literally. I mean, those first hour workers, those are the guys that show up at the crack of dawn. They've got, you know, they're dressed right. They've had their coffee. They've done their devotions. They've got their tools in their bag. They're ready to go. And I bet you these 11th hour workers, these are the guys that slept in, right? <laughs> these are the guys that kind of entered the marketplace a little bit late. And we see something interesting about them that they haven't been hired all day. I mean, who waits all the way anyway to the 11th hour to be hired? They probably just didn't want to go home. These are the guys that were probably there because someone in their life says, you need to get out of bed and get a job. Right? They probably weren't looking for a job. These guys are probably not even skilled enough to get a job. You know, at the 11th hour, Who's going to come by and hire these guys? Well, they've been picked over. They're not worthy. They have no skill. They weren't looking for it. But yet, they were given grace. And even more than that, shockingly, they got 12 times the pay rate, the normal pay rate. How do we handle that? Well, this is a picture of God's grace, a picture of his grace. And I thought about, well, let's see, what kind of practical illustration can I give you guys of this? I thought, and I thought, and I couldn't think of one. But as I reflected on it, I realized that the Bible is full of examples of this grace, and perhaps it's best amplified by God himself. You guys remember Abraham? If you don't, just go take a look in Genesis and, and brush up on that. But let me tell you something about this guy, Abraham. God promised something wonderful to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all of the families in the earth through you. I'm going to give you a land. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But what kind of person was Abraham? Well, 
He did have faith, but his faith was kind of weak. Even though God had promised to bless him with a multitude of descendants, he kind of struggled with that concept, right? Sarah, she's getting a little bit old. Hmm, I wonder if this promise is really going to come true. Maybe I need to do something about this, and he finds a different way. So he's a person who's weak in faith. What about when he was before Pharaoh, right? He was deceptive about the identity of his wife because he was afraid. So what we have here in Abraham is a guy who's weak in faith. He's kind of a coward. He's kind of a liar. What is on this guy's resume to warrant such blessing from God? There's nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that Abraham could have done. There's nothing in Abraham himself that warranted the pouring out a blessing on him and his family. So we see that God is a fair and just God. We see that he's sovereign and he's abundantly gracious. And you know, we can struggle and we can question these characteristics of God and we can struggle with the fact that he's generous to other people. We can get envious. We can get disdained. We can cast that evil eye on our neighbor. We can struggle sometimes with God being sovereign. And there's a lot in this parable that it tells us about the character of God that makes us uncomfortable. And perhaps I think that's what drew me to the passage in the first place. I had a visceral reaction (laughs) when I was looking at it I was thinking wow how can it be but what if we demanded of God what we deserved what would it be like what wage would we earn Romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. What will we earn? What do we really deserve because of our sin? Because of our rebellion? We deserve death. We deserve eternal separation from God. And yet, if we're his children today, that is not what we were given. That's not what we were given. We're never going to be able to cope with these sorts of struggles envy towards others, disdain. We're never going to be able to cope with this unless we have different lenses to look through. You know, I started the message giving you that perspective of that first hour worker, right? Seeing his plight. But really, we have to have lenses to see through the eyes of the 11th hour worker. We have to realize that we are the 11th hour worker, that we are the 11th hour worker, that you are the 11th hour worker if you are one of his children, that I'm an 11th hour worker. I'm someone who God has poured his grace upon and I'm not even worthy to receive it. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I can't work for it. But yet, he pours it out on me. Amazing grace that it is. Jesus, he bore our sins on the cross 
so that we could get what we don't deserve. He bore our sins so that we could get what we could not earn, just like that 11th hour worker, and that is utter grace. Romans 5, verse 8, it says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what? You know what that means? We were not worthy. We were not cleaned up. We can't get cleaned up. We were still sinners. We were still enemies of God. And yet, He shows us His grace. He pours out His grace on us. And this, brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the kingdom of God. It's the good news of the kingdom of God. This is the upside-down economy of God where the first will be last and the last will be first. And Jesus, our Savior, He became last. He became least so that we could be first fruits to God. So what will the kingdom of God look like? What will it look like according to this parable? The kingdom of God is going to be filled with 11th hour workers. It's going to be filled with people like you and me who don't belong there. We don't deserve to be there. We can't earn it. That's what the kingdom of heaven will be like. People like Abraham and David and Moses and you and me. Well, looking at these characteristics of God, His fairness and justice, His sovereignty, His abundant grace can kind of feel sometimes a little bit theoretical, right? A little bit lofty. So I want to bring it down to some practical things to help you. And you're probably thinking, you know, how is this going to help me on Monday morning when I have to face that guy again? The guy who comes in late, the guy who takes those long lunches, not paying attention to meetings, and yet he's getting the same raise as me. In fact, sometimes he gets better opportunities than me. How do I... How am I going to apply this? The first thing I'm going to give you is that we should give more grace. We should give more grace. You know, as children of God who've been beloved by God, who've been adopted into God's kingdom, who've been given a place at the table, realizing that we don't even belong there, that we haven't earned our spot there, we've been given grace Shouldn't we, of all the people on the planet, be the ones dispensing grace and giving grace? We need to give grace in all our relationships, in our family, with our spouse, our kids, our siblings, our co-workers, that person in the neighborhood. We need to give more grace even in our church. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's great news. We need to give more grace. You know, a healthy relationship needs grace and forgiveness. Show me a relationship that is void of any type of grace and forgiveness and I'll show you a very unhealthy relationship. Because I need grace. I need grace in all my relationships. 
because I'm broken. And you guys need it too. I know you guys sense that. You guys want grace from other people, right? And all your relationships, you, give me a break. Give me some grace. But in a, in a similar manner, we have to give grace to others. One small caveat I want to give you. Giving grace is not an excuse to allow people to trample on the image of God in you. It's not giving someone an excuse to continue in their sin and those sorts of things. And so when you're giving grace, use wisdom, seek the Holy Spirit, seek counsel. Because giving grace and love to someone may look a little bit different in those situations. And lastly, I want to give you sort of a one-two punch type of application. Don't grumble, but be thankful. Don't grumble, but be thankful. Don't worry, be happy. Not exactly the same thing. (laughs) But don't grumble, right? Don't be like that first hour worker. Don't cast your eye on someone else's situation or that other person and you think, wow, why do they have that and I don't have that? Because in reality, are we really grumbling at that person? If God is sovereign, we're grumbling at God himself. So don't grumble. Be thankful. And as people who have been been given the grace of God, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for. Welcomed into the kingdom of God, though we did not deserve it. And so we do these things. We give grace, we're thankful, we don't grumble, not to earn his favor, but because we've been given favor from God, but because we've been given favor. It's a fine point, it's a subtle distinction, but it makes all the difference in the world. Christ working through us because we've been given grace, we can't earn it. You might be sitting here tonight thinking, I've never experienced this kind of grace. I have no idea. And I've been trying to relate to God all my life, trying to make myself worthy, trying to measure up. Maybe I'm good enough. Don't be like that. Don't be like that first hour worker and think that you deserve something from God. Fall down and realize that He gives grace. You can't earn it but you can be welcomed into his kingdom. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not a result of works. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You're not worthy enough, and you're not good enough. Fall on your knees and cry out to God. And through faith in his son, you can be welcomed into his kingdom of God and you can experience this kind of superabundant grace. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you that you don't treat us as we deserve. We praise you that you give us grace, superabundant. You give us grace though we don't deserve it. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for adopting us as your beloved sons and daughters and welcoming us into your kingdom. Lord, I pray tonight for the one who's here, who's maybe come to church so often and not realized 
that they can't earn favor with you. But you have given them favor in your son. We pray that you would be working in their heart. Help them to come to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.